Hello, this is Pastor Marty Mesito from Bellhopper's Ministries, bringing you another podcast from the Pastor's Study, Biblical Lessons in the Battlefield of Life from a retired pastor of 45 years who was saved after serving as a Staff Sergeant Airborne Ranger in Vietnam. My testimony is shared in podcast number one. It is my desire to share with you lessons the Lord has taught me over my years of living as a Christian and serving as a pastor. These podcasts are intended to whet your appetite for further personal Bible study. They'll be short, 20 to 30 minutes, and having your Bible and something to jot down notes might be helpful. If you have any questions, you can contact me by email. It is masito, F-H-M, at gmail.com. That is M-A-S-I-T-T-O, F-H-M, for Fellow Helpers Ministries, at gmail.com. I want to take a few moments at the beginning of our podcast in this new year to thank a few people who helped make this podcast possible. Number one would be my wife of 51 years who has been encouraging me that my opportunity to minister the word has not ceased due to my health, but just shifted to various other avenues. Thank you, Pam. Lord willing, I'll be able to get her on some future podcasts to share her testimony and even some practical lessons the Lord has taught her as a mother of seven and pastor's wife of 45 years. The second thank you I'd like to give would be to a young man, Andrew Paquette, who clearly is a spark plug for these podcasts. He has done the research, advised on what equipment to purchase, set up the three avenues for sharing each week, Facebook, Podbean, Apple Podcast, as well as overseeing the recording. Without Andrew, I'd not be sharing with you, and you would not be listening. Number three would be our two supporting churches who have provided the funds needed to keep this project going. Victory Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, with Pastor Jesse Latta, where I served for almost eight years, and Freedom Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina, with Pastor Scott LaRue, where I served nine months as an interim pastor. These pastors and their congregations are very encouraging to me, and I want to thank them too. So I am grateful to have this help, and I'm grateful to be able to take the Word of God and share it with you week by week. The title of our Bible study today is The Second Coming Servant Standing in the Midst of Opposition. The Second Coming Servant Standing in the Midst of Opposition. For our Bible reading, we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanius and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking in the next few weeks at this church in Thessalonica and the Thessalonians that make up that church and learn some things that God was teaching them that I believe he wants to teach us too. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll begin. Father in heaven, we know that the church of Thessalonica was a blessing to you, and we know our churches today are a blessing to you too. And we pray, Father, that as you encourage them with your word, you encourage us with your word also. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. When we take a look at the church of Thessalonica, we recognize that it is a church that uh, had the opportunity of standing for the Lord in a place where it was very difficult to do so. And we're going to see that this evening as we take a look at the context of the church, how it got started, and then the content of the church, uh, how it was going. And we're going to see the context of the church by looking at Acts chapter 17 
And then we'll see the content in the church, and we'll do that by taking a look at 1 Thessalonians and the five chapters. Now, in order to see the context of the church, I want to read to you Acts chapter 17 and beginning at verse 1. And the first thing we're going to note is this. Paul did not preach very long at Thessalonica. Paul did not preach very long at Thessalonica. Here's what we read. Now, when they had passed, Acts 17, verse 1, through Amphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as the manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them, verse 4, believed, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, of the chief women, not a few. So as we take a look at the context of the church at Thessalonica, and we look at the context in Acts chapter 17, we see, first of all, Paul did not preach very long at Thessalonica. Verse 2 tells us that he was there three Sabbath days. Now that would be less than a month. And as he went into that city to preach, he took the gospel to the Jew first. You see that when it talks about him going into the verse 1 synagogue of the Jews. And as he was preaching in the synagogue of the Jews and offering them the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, you'll notice that there was some opposition that followed. We'll see that in just a moment. But the first thing I'd like to point out to you in regard to him preaching these three Sabbath days to the Jews was this. Paul's custom was to do that when he went into an area, to give the Jews first the opportunity to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in the Bible, never did we see a synagogue converted to Christianity and separate from the National Council of Synagogues. He gave them the gospel and gave them the opportunity, but when they did not receive the gospel, then he moved on to another opportunity to share the word. I think that's very important to note. In fact, when we take a look at this, the norm is that when you preach the gospel in an environment or a church or a place where the gospel is not being preached, they will actually separate from you. They'll drive you out. They'll push you away. We've seen that before in other passages here in the New Testament and especially in the book of Acts. And so the thing that we want to note, first of all, is in the context of the church, Paul did not preach very long there. It was less than a month, three Sabbath days. The second thing we want to see is this. He preached for three Sabbath days, or about one month, but look at the results that came in that amount of time. In verse 4, it says, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. Out of these were some devout Greeks, verse 4, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. So there were Jews who believed, there were Greeks who believed, a great multitude, and there were chief women who also believed and made up what we would call that nucleus of the church at Thessalonica. And that came in a very short period of time. These people were born again. They came from all different walks of life. They came from different religious backgrounds. They came out of different genders. They came out of different social status. And yet they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and became a unit in the body of Christ to be a testimony for him. Now, 
when this group came together and started to believe and put their faith and trust in Lord Jesus Christ, we note that persecution came, and it came almost immediately. You'll see the persecution in verse 5 of Acts chapter 17. You see the church going to the Jew first, and then also then preaching and seeing many saved in verse 4. And now persecution starts in verse 5 through 9. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, one Jesus. And they troubled, verse 8, the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately, verse 10, sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. So you see, first of all, Paul did not preach very long at Thessalonica, three Sabbath days, less than a month. And yet during that time, a church was born. During that time, people believed in all, of all these various backgrounds and came together and united to make a church. But persecution came to that church almost immediately. In other words, when you take a look at this passage of Scripture, you'll see that the enemy opposed what was taking place and was not shy in opposing it openly to the point where they started to take people that were believers like Jason and others and persecute those people. And as a result, the Apostle Paul was led to leave that area to not bring even more intense hardship on these people. I have in my notes here a little phrase that I really like, and that is this. Uh, these were yucky people in Thessalonica. Yucky people. Did you see the definition of that? Verse 5. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Uh, they were people that were envious and people that were lewd and crude and people that were the baser sort, the lowest sort. But wait a minute. Some of these people had been saved. Now they were believers and Christians. Others of them had not yet been saved yet. And so now you've got a real conflict, don't you? You've got those who were saved and wanting to honor and live for the Lord and those who with envy wanted to see that discontinue and stop. And therefore they brought in persecution. They took them, and they threatened them, and they put pressure upon them. But you want to know something? Perseverance on the part of those saved kept the work going. Perseverance on the part of those saved kept the work going. God built a church in Thessalonica in that one-month period. And now you'll see the persecution of those, or excuse me, the perseverance of those who saved, seeing that church develop and form into the church we're going to be looking at a year later in 1 Thessalonians. Imagine trying to live for the Lord in Thessalonica. It's the city that drove out the Apostle 
Paul, not an easy thing to do. But then when the apostle Paul was driven out, the people stayed and those people who stayed continued to serve the Lord and uphold the gospel of Jesus Christ. Steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in seeing success. Steadfastness, that's the idea of perseverance. Steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in seeing success. So this perseverance on the part of these people meant that Jason and certain brethren that we've seen in verse 6 were those who stayed there and continued to uphold that message of Christ. Now, you know, in the day and age we live in today, there are a lot of definitions and descriptions of what you call macho men. Uh, the size of their muscles, or the size of their wallet or checkbook, or or the way they appear, the way they talk, the way they, whatever, makes them macho men. You want to know who real macho men are? Real macho men are men like Jason, verse 6, and certain brethren, verse 6, who stood fast for the Lord, even in the midst of persecution. And these are baby Christians, folks. We read the verses. They had just gotten saved. They had met less than a month with the Apostle Paul. They probably met very frequently with him. They learned a lot, as we'll see later as we go through 1 Thessalonians. And, and we see now that here these people are standing fast for the Lord in a community or a town that was definitely opposed to the things of God. You'll also notice if you go down a little bit further in verse 14, when they went to Berea, that is, Paul and Silas went to Berea, then they were able to minister there. And the Bereans were totally the opposite of Thessalonians. They received the word. But then it says in verse 14, and then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. Now I'm saying that because I believe that Silas and Timotheus being in Berea, which was not very far from Thessalonica, was a great encouragement to Jason and the certain brethren as they continued to be a testimony for Christ in Thessalonica. So when we take a look at the context of the church of Thessalonica, you'll notice Paul did not preach long there, three Sabbath days. Persecution came almost immediately. We saw that as Jason and his house was assaulted. And yet perseverance kept that work going. And again, the idea of perseverance, steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in seeing its success. Now, as we finish up here in Acts, I want us to turn over to 1 Thessalonians and go to chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, as we turn from Acts 17, the 1 Thessalonians, we are going the space of about a year. So a year later, we come to Thessalonica in chapter 1, verse 1, and read these words. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A year later, there's an established, functioning local church in Thessalonica being written to by Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. When we take a look at the context of this epistle to this church at Thessalonica, we're going to note three things that I find extremely interesting. 
And what we're going to do is what I call skipping a stone. We're going to actually skip a stone like you would over water and go through these five chapters just kind of skipping a stone. And I want us to see three things as we do this. Number one, as we look at the context of the epistle, we see a hurting church. We see a hurting church. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Much affliction. Now that idea of the word affliction is the idea of something that causes pain or suffering. The infliction of pain or humiliation. The church at Thessalonica was a hurting church. You'll notice in chapter 2, in verse 14, we read these words. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Here it was not only a church facing affliction, but a church facing suffering. The idea of suffering is experience, experiencing or being subject to something bad or unpleasant. Experience or being subject to something bad or unpleasant. You'll also notice as we skip our stone, we go to chapter 3 and verse 4. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. You'll also see in verse 3 again uh, that reference to affliction, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Now, verse 4, and suffer tribulation. The idea of tribulation is the idea of causing great trouble or suffering, like a grinding away or pressure. You'll notice also, as you go to chapter 4, verse 13, it says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. There's the word sorrow. That is a feeling of deep distress caused by loss, disappointment, or other misfortune suffered by others or oneself. So now you see this church is facing affliction and suffering and suffering tribulation and sorrow. And then you'll notice in chapter 5, verse 11, it says this. It says, wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as you do. Why did they need comfort? Because they were a hurting church. There were things that were hurting them. You know, when you take a look at this and have that wonderful passage of 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, which we'll be looking at later, talking about those who are dead in Christ, I believe when you put together Acts 17 and put together 1 Thessalonians, you'll find that some people died even during the course of that year who were Christians. Whether they died from persecution or just natural causes, we don't know for sure, but they had died and they were being comforted that they'll be seeing them again someday. We'll see that again later in a few weeks. But the point at hand that we're looking at right now is this. When we go to the content of the epistle, we see that this church was a hurting church. All five chapters give evidence of that. Now, with this church being a hurting church, I want you to imagine taking up your pen and writing to this church to encourage them. Are you going to write to them and say, cheer up, things are going to get better? 
Are you going to write to them and say, well, what you're suffering isn't really that big of a deal? What are you going to do? Well, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shows us this. And what we see secondly under the content of the church is it was a happy church. How can a hurting church be a happy church? Well, let's take a look first of all and skip that stone and see what we find about their happiness. You'll notice in chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. There's our happiness. You'll notice in chapter 2, in verse 20, it reads this, For ye are our glory and our joy. There's happiness. You'll notice chapter 3, in verse 9, it says this, For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before God? You'll notice chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, talking about the believers and, and gathering together to meet the Lord in the air. Certainly that is a joyful passage. And then you'll find the chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, Rejoice evermore. So how is it that you can have a hurting church that is also a happy church? Well, I believe the answer for that is given to us as we skip a stone again and note that every one of these five chapters ends with a promise of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of the five talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds, in the air, to take the church to be with him forever and ever. Notice with me chapter 1, verse 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Wait for his Son from heaven. Notice also in chapter 2, verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing, are not even ye, in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. You notice chapter 3, and you'll note verse 9. For we, for what thanks can we render to God again for you all? <clears throat> for, uh, for the Excuse me, chapter 3, verse 13, I'm sorry. And to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And certainly in chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, we see a great description of that coming. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep or are dead in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words." Now, the key to that passage is verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So you'll notice also in chapter 5, verse 16, a promise of his coming. 
when it says, I'm sorry, I keep getting mixed up in my verses here. Chapter 5, verse 23, there we go. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. How long? Unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we take a look this uh, this podcast and we take a look at this uh, church at Thessalonica and we go back and we see the uh, start of that church back there in in uh, Acts chapter 17. And as we took a look at the start of the church back in Acts chapter 17, we saw the, the context of the church and how it got started. And the way it got started, of course, is what we outlined just a little bit ago. Paul did not preach long at Thessalonica. Persecution came almost immediately at Thessalonica. But perseverance kept the work going from Jason and certain brethren who kept going. And then as we go a year later into the context of the church, we see a hurting church, affliction, suffering, suffer tribulation, sorrow, comfort yourselves. We see, however, a happy church, joy and joy and joy and joy and joy throughout all five chapters. And that's because it was a hopeful church every chapter referring to the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we take a look at this book of 1 Thessalonians and see the great work that God did in Thessalonica over a period of a year, we might want to make this observation. You know, sometimes persecution was not terrible, but actually tremendous. Sometimes persecution is not terrible, but actually tremendous. In fact, I had a friend years and years ago that I was under when we first got into the ministry, and things were bad back then in the 70s, as they're bad today. And he would always make this comment, and I'm sure you've heard others make it too. Things are growing gloriously dark. And what he meant by that was, the darker the day got, the brighter the Christian shined. And you know, sometimes things can be going so well for us that we almost don't want Christ to come. We almost don't even think about his coming because things are going so well. But the truth of the matter is, God uses times that we live in, situations that we live in, often to bring us to the point where we refocus on the truth that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming again. And if you're not saved and don't know Christ as your Savior, it's a wake-up call for you to get saved before it's too late. And if you are saved and do know the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, it's a wake-up call to be sure that you're ready and not ashamed that it is coming. It's not a bad thing to be hurting. It's not a bad thing to be happy when you're hurting. And the way you do that is by having hope in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The second coming servant standing in the midst of opposition. Well, I trust you've been able to enjoy our broadcast today and maybe even have to replay it, take a few notes about it. But I believe that uh, it's a joy for us to see what the Lord did in one year in Thessalonica. And as we take a look at each chapter now in Thessalonica in these weeks ahead, we're going to see more and more about how the Lord strengthened that church and ministered through that church in the day and age that it was ministering in. You remember that definition that we saw back there uh, there were people that were what? Well, our Acts chapter 17 says there were lewd fellows of the baser sort. 
There were those who were moved with envy. They actually sought to bring people out and punish people and persecute people because of their belief in Christ. And yet we find the church thriving and we find the church rejoicing and we find the church looking for the return of her Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we do the same. This has been from the Pastor's Study with Pastor Martin Macedo. You may email me at macedofhm at gmail.com. That's M-A-S-I-T-T-O-F-H-M for Fellow Helpers Ministries at gmail.com. Lord willing, we'll post another Bible study next week. But remember, when facing opposition, we can run and hide or we can stand and abide. The choice is ours. Thank you for listening and have a great day.